All right, all right. So today's topic is why do we disciple? We'll be taking texts from lots and lots of epistles. It looks like Philippians, Romans, Second Corinthians, First Thessalonians, Second John, um, and we'll have a a more lengthy text out of the Gospel of John. Uh, it's all in your handout, so you know there's you don't necessarily have to flip around in your Bible. But if you were going to, I would turn to John because that's our lengthy passage. So. Um, why do we disciple? Uh, is it an obligation? Is it a desire? Is it both? I would answer that yes, it's an obligation. We should desire it. And is it both? I would say that that's how God designed it. So uh, we'll be looking at two primary reasons why we disciple. One would be our own personal joy in the ministry of discipleship. And uh, two is, you know, the same reason that we, you know, we work, we rest, we, 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 you know, recreate, you know, everything that we do, we do to the glory of God. And that's the primary reason why we, we disciple as well. All right. So let's look at these, these passages that will support the biblical argument for discipleship is for our own personal joy. Uh, first, uh, Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Philippians 2, 1 and 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit... If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Philippians 4.1 Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Romans 16.19 Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. 2 Corinthians 7, 4, and then we'll skip down to uh, 13 and 16. Verse 4, I have great confidence in you. I take pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no, brown, no bounds. 13 through 16, by all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proven to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19-20 For what is our hope, our joy, or the crowns in which we will glorify in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. 2 John 1, verse 4 It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commands us. Okay, so consider in all these verses, what was Paul and John's basis for rejoicing? Uh, 
I would say that the common theme here is that they wrote about their own joy. God intends to produce joy in us when we are used to help others prosper and grow. You know, we can see this. Uh, Sometimes when we evangelize and we see someone who appears to be drawn to, to Christ, when we disciple them and we see them start to mature and we see that their calling is more and more sure day by day, that, that produces joy in us. We see the family of God growing. We see God continuing to do good work. And it's good to see that God is using us as a conduit for that. Okay, so consider, is this sort of joy selfish? Does a joy in personally helping to mature disciples lead us to be man-centered? Response, if this joy were the entire reason why Paul and John and others, even us, took or take pleasure in discipling, then yes, it would be a wrong and unrighteous motivation, but that's not the picture that we get from Scripture. They were delighting to see themselves as the means God used in Christian discipleship, specifically because then it brought glory to God, which is the ultimate means, or the ultimate reason why we're doing this. So can it lead to pride? Yes, chasing after this joy can lead to pride, but just because it can, this possibility isn't a valid argument against pursuing it rightly. And so just like everything else that we do to the glory of God, in our lives day by day. You know, we're constantly checking our heart. We're checking our motivation. Okay, so far, you know, we're looking at while we're discipling, you know, and we've just covered one of the reasons why we do this is for our own personal joy. Watching others grow through our effort is a part of our glory before God. And if we aren't desiring this, our understanding of what is happening through us and for others, our understanding may be a little in error there. So, But our joy um, in discipling, that isn't the paramount reason why we do this. Uh, The primary reason is for the glory of God. Scripture teaches that discipling leads to greater fruit bearing in our collective lives, and that glorifies God um, as this good work of his through us is witnessed by the world. Let's take a look at John chapter 15, 1 through 17. We're going to break this up into two parts. Uh, I'll start with verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, 
thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now later in the series we'll be looking at what it means to remain in Christ and how this causes us to bear fruit, but today's focus in this passage is on the glory described in verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So what is it that Christ describes in the life of the believer that will bring glory to the Father? Our bearing much fruit is what's mentioned in this passage. And what will that fruitness demonstrate to a watching world? That we are disciples to the glory of God the Father. So then what is this fruit? Now, the text is not very specific, but we can get at least a basic idea of part of the answer by continuing to read the rest of this passage, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, I will remain. you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Now, John chapter 15 is focused primarily on the need to abide in Christ and on the love that he has shown for us, but there is also a plain command for us in this passage as well to love one another as Christ loved us. So at least part of the fruit that is implied here is love for God that shows itself as love for each other. How is it that Christ loved us, and what does this do for our understanding of this fruit that glorifies God. Verses 12 through 13 say that Christ loved us by dying for us. Now we can't mimic the atonement. That was a... That's something that we can only look at in marvel. But we can somewhat mirror that in our lives. And a good way to start understanding how we would mirror that would be to look at um, what was he accomplishing for those he had chosen by laying down his life. To bring us to the Father so that we can share in the joy that Christ enjoys with the Father. So that we can bear fruit so that our joy will be complete, so that our enmity toward God would be replaced by a loving relationship. Now, we can accomplish this through our discipling as well. It's not going to look the same all the time, but all of these are aims. 
Now, I would venture to say that very few of us, if any of us at all, would ever be called toward martyrdom in laying down our lives for the sake of others. But, um, as living sacrifices, we'll, we will be pouring out our lives into others, discipling, drop by drop, day by day, hour by hour. You know, when we are taking our time, and we are taking our effort, and we are pouring that into someone else, not just for the good of them in an earthly fashion, but in, but eternally, this is self-sacrifice. When we are pouring our knowledge into each other, when we are taking the time to correct errors that we see in one another, when we are having our errors corrected by others, this is bringing glory to God. Christ shared all of the knowledge that he had from the Father with us. And so, like Christ, we're sharing the pieces that we have with each other. Now, none of us have the entire picture, but we all have pieces. And we can share what we understand with each other within the body, you know, locally or or even corporately. Now, that's going to look different in different settings with different people. It could be public teaching like this. It could be just spiritual conversation. It could be, you know, passing around a book that you found very beneficial whenever you hear someone trying to struggle through a topic that they may not completely understand. Um, Sending each other links and podcasts and maybe even the occasional uh, 1% of Facebook conversations that are actually beneficial. Um, So in summary... If you set out to deliberately relate to another Christian with the intent of doing them good spiritually, you are loving them by laying down your life for them and by willingly passing on on to them truths from God's Word. So again, we have, why are we discipling? We're doing it for the sake of our own joy, but primarily we are doing it for the sake of God's glory. Okay, Uh, here's some practical application. If you were to uh, take some time this week, meditate on the way discipling brings you joy. Maybe focus on those times whenever you did see growth and how that made you feel. And um, how it builds up the church and and brings God great glory. And if you find that you are still not motivated to spend time encouraging other believers to grow, then take some time this week to contemplate the reasons for discipling that we have set out in today's lesson. As you consider biblical reasons, we hope that you will find that the word begins to motivate your heart and that your heart will stir your actions. And we can pray. We can pray for desire to invest more of ourselves in others to allow ourselves to be invested in depending on the relationship and we can pray that that the desire is centered on God's glory and that we take a joy in this service to one another thank you